Hey guys. Hello. Hello. First Anthony. Yeah, he wasn't responding to the Facebook group either. Oh yeah, no, he's um he said he wasn't working, so he was on the message chat. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Okay, hopefully he sees. The, there it is. He's coming. All right, there he is. So, how many podcasters does it take to do a live show? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think we. All... Is this on? Is this on? Is this working? It's on. Yeah. It's on. Gotcha. You know what? We we really need sound effects for this podcast. I know. You know, like they used to have on radio, the guy with the two coconuts clapping <laughs> together for, for hook beats and uh, a helicopter. <laughs> I mean, I could add them in later, but that's not as much fun as just hitting a button and having it happen right then and there. Yeah. Oh, well. Whatever. We tried. We failed. So how's everybody? Uh, how was everybody's holiday? Let's not all talk at once. Yeah, yeah. that bad, huh? <laughs> Hasn't been too bad at all, actually. I've been, you know, had family family visiting. I've had, um, you know, lots of food. We've had floods. We've had floods, heat yeah. waves. We've had everything. <laughs> Australia <laughs> does everything to eleven, man. You're like Spinal Taps amps. <laughs> Do you know? Here's here's a bit of trivia for you. There was an episode of Peppa Pig that was created to to teach kids not to be scared of spiders because spiders are good things which they banned in Australia because it's actually not good to actually teach kids not to be afraid of spiders. Okay. <laughs> there, there are a lot of things in Australia that can kill you. That's yes. true. And the, the, there are a lot of things that want to kill you. <laughs> but we're saying this, yet we've got our own, you know, alligator man that walks amongst the alligators taking pictures <laughs> with a, with his little Mamiya U. Yeah. Yeah, or his iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I think it might have been the drugs that were uh, that were involved in that uh, that particular uh, scenario. I don't know. I've I've been doing that for decades. You know, you just got to learn when to uh, when it's cool enough that they're uh, they're going to be sluggish. That's yeah. You're yeah. That's that's right. I, I keep forgetting that they in the summertime they move relatively quickly. But you, uh, you yeah. heat them up, they move faster. Yeah. Well, in the winter, they they need to eat, and so they feast in the morning. Uh, but to digest, they can't like be in the water because the water's kind of cold. So they come out on the on the shore and they just lay there digesting. So they've already had their like big meal for the day. So it's not like you know, like during breeding season, like during the spring when they are like all jumped up with hormones and super active all the time, and then you have to give them like a fairly wide berth. But in the winter. They're relatively safe. I mean, you don't want to touch them. I mean, you don't want to brush up against them. But what if one wants dessert? Yeah, well, I mean, that happens. <laughs> well, haven't, I heard, haven't I heard stories of like frozen iguanas falling out of trees and then people oh, yeah. pick them up and throw them in their car, not realizing oh, that when they thaw out, they're going to like ravage you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a guy that <laughs> was running a barbecue um, down in, in Miami. And he thought he just had like free meat for a month. And so he just filled his car with like dozens <laughs> of frozen iguanas and got on the highway and then turned his heater on. And they all thought at once <laughs> and ended up crashing his car uh, because he had, and I mean, because the iguanas, I mean, they'll bite you. They're just, you know, four foot of like just one thrashing muscle. One uh, thrashing muscle with like Indiana Jones whip, like tail, tail you know, yeah, I, mean, I mean, I mean, iguanas are harmless, but 
Uh, you don't want to be in a car. You don't want to piss him off in a car, right? Well, then like, nails wouldn't be not sharp either. No, so uh, you, you might get a few gashes here and there. You might get scratched up, but I mean, they're not going for the jugular. Mm. Wait, before before we get started, let me just say that that I'm not sure how long I'm going to last tonight. Um, I took my evening meds. One of them causes my lungs to kind of fill up with fluids. And so I start coughing. So if I start to fade, I'm just going to have to fade away. Okay. All right. Well, we, we know where you, where you are. Yeah. Uh, just just uh, send us a message yeah. later and let us know how you're doing. Is it worth telling the listeners what why um, yeah, we mentioned a... Anthony on drugs and we mentioned <laughs> we're talking about medication now? It's probably worth mentioning why. Yeah, I've, I mean, is this actually going to be part of the show, what we're doing right now? I mean, yeah, I, I'm not going to edit any of this out. It's still going to be live. Okay. Unless you want uh, unless you want me to remove it. No, 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 no. It's just, okay. I mean, for, for the listeners that, that I don't know personally, um, when I came back from my Japan trip, uh, almost immediately the day after I came back, uh, was, uh, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer and it's been a rough road. Yeah. You know, so I'm in the middle yeah. of chemo, um, went in today and did, uh, all of the, um, positioning scans for my radiation therapy which will begin next week. Uh, uh, so it's, um, started my prostate, spread to my bones, spread to my lymph system, a little bit in my lungs. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic that uh the, the treatments that we have will be successful um i've been you know if if you can be lucky and having stage four cancer i don't have any issues with any organs right now so uh you know it hasn't spread to my colon or my uh bladder or any of the uh organs that have a, a fairly high mortality rate um but it's something that i'll probably need to be you know i'll, I'll be in treatments for the rest of my life um, but cautiously optimistic that after, you know, the, the, the chemotherapy part is going to be intense for the next four months. Yeah. Uh, and when I get the, the treatments, I am pretty much knocked out for the first seven to 10 days after the infusions, uh, issues that I'm having now is that I have, uh, a number of different therapies that I'm going through in addition to the chemo. So like I was uh, one week after my, my initial chemo, this last session, I had to go back in for monoclonal antibody injections to try to redistribute calcium onto my hip bones where the cancer is set in. You know, you've so, shared us with this, this news, you know, it's a couple of weeks old. So for uh, Theo, Paul and I, this isn't new to hear, but it, it's not any easier, you know, to hear it. So I'm just sorry that this is happening to you, but um, stay optimistic. I mean, that's from, from what I've heard, uh, positive thoughts is it goes a long way. Well, for me, it's it's a lifelong um, obsession with Monty Python. You know, pretty much everything I've learned on how to cope with this came from Monty Python's uh, <laughs> Meaning of Life uh, and a little bit of Life of Brian. Yeah, and uh, you know, a little bit of the uh, you know, Bring Out the Dead. I'm not dead yet. Skit from uh, the Holy Grail. Yeah. Uh, so I'm moving through the different levels of acceptance of what I'm going through. Uh, I'm trying to keep a you know, good dark sense of humor about it. Um, you know, it, it hasn't hit me in a way that has just completely derailed me, but it derails me in chunks, Sure. you know? So there are days when I have good days and days when I have bad days and I just have to learn how to modulate that. Yeah. Uh, it has come into my shooting though. And I'm glad, I'm glad I went to Japan without knowing that I had this, although I was aware that I probably did. Um, but you know, just, coming back it's been hard to even just pick up a camera yeah 
it, it re reprioritizes things, doesn't it? But sure. mate, you're you're a tough cookie. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll give you that much. You're really a tough cookie. You're you're taking it on the chin and and you're fighting back hard. So that's yeah, that's fantastic to see. So positive thoughts. Um, I know it's it's cliche the thoughts and prayers kind of thing, but um, I know there's a lot of listeners that have been listening to this show since the beginning. Each episode we're getting between two to three thousand listens in the first couple of weeks. So um, for most of the people, this will be the first time hearing it. You know, Anthony missed the last episode and he's dropped out early. You know, this is why, um, you know, it's, it was, uh, you know, something that we figured we would share at some point, but um, he's going to keep sticking with us and, and we're going to keep going. Um, but, uh, you know, wish, uh, wish you the, the best, man. I mean, just stick with it. If, if sending more cameras would help you, um, we'll do it, you know. Cameras or film, whatever we so, got to yeah. uh, keep you, keep you moving. And so, is, Anthony, is Theo drinking a beer? I am. It, it, it Just as we started, it clicked over 12 o'clock. So it's tech, it's afternoon here. So I nice. have a beer. Oh, okay. And well, I'm not know, working at the moment. You, so. <laughs> yeah. So we normally record on Monday in the United States, but it's always Tuesday in the middle of the workday for Theo. Uh, but this is Friday night for us. So uh, it's Saturday for him, obviously. Um, so it's, it's new year. No, it's the day before new year's Eve. I, I can't even, yeah. I've been on vacation yeah. since <laughs> the, the 19th of December. Uh, I spent five days up in Michigan with my uh, father-in-law. Um, so I've, I've, I'm at that stretch where like days, I can't keep track of what day of the week it is, what number it is. People have to remind me what I'm doing that day. So I've uh, <laughs> been enjoying the time off. I, um, I finished off my uh, last contract early November uh, for people that don't know, I freelance. And uh, I've got something lined up in the new year. Uh, this, yeah. this was finished a little bit earlier than I expected. So um, I've been off work since since early November now. And uh, if you think you, losing track of days happens when you come off at the 19th of December, mate, try this for a couple yeah. of months. <laughs> so, I, you know, but, uh, I don't want I don't want to go through that, but I, I wouldn't. I, I won't deny that there's a little bit of jealousy to like the thought of having that much time of not having to work could be, could yeah. be fun. Yeah. Look, it, it's, it's good now that I've got something lined up for the new year. I start my new, uh, a new role. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited about this one. Actually. It's a really something I'm quite excited yeah. about. Uh, and it means now that the pressure's off making sure I've got something lined off. And I, um, I have literally, you know, what is it? 23 days now of, um, of just enjoying myself because I don't have to try and do anything work-wise. Um, yeah. I'm just good. Um, Christmas is over. I've done all that bit. So now it's a matter of, you know, making sure I don't go over to the edge and put on all the weight I lost last year and, and, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and go out and enjoy, um, take some, take, you know, do some photography. Yeah. So, so speaking of that, how is that Nikon S2? That S2, uh, I think we mentioned it in the last we I did. think we mentioned it in the last um, episode. I don't, think, I don't think you had it yet, though. No, but it arrived. It is right here. Uh, as you can see there, I did post it. You know, I'm still getting likes for this post from early December uh, in you know, in the groups. Um, but this this S2, it came with a 1.4 Nikkor lens, is immaculate. Yeah. This is the cleanest camera I have ever bought. Um, and and that's saying something because I've got some you know out of box stuff. Oh, maybe the Mamiya Seven was cleaner, but yeah, we know that that's the best camera anyway. But the the um, it has been a lot of fun shooting this. I've got my first roll of film through. Um, I've you know Anthony rightly pointed out that I 
seem to got my colors wrong or something on my editing um and yes my screen for some reason the calibration's gone out and that's that's where i got to in the end but uh once i got sorted that out this thing is fantastic it is uh it is a lot of fun uh it shoots well uh it is uh it is nice to use probably i'm still in the leica m2 camp as being my preferred camera to this but uh it is yeah it is so well made it's it's definitely in the same league uh, so let is, me ask you this then your 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 gut react reaction when you first started playing with it how much does it compare to a contacts in your opinion because so many people say oh well it was just a copy but do, do you what do you what are your thoughts on i've that? never shot a contacts i've shot as you haven't as, okay um a um care four uh, which um, obviously this, this blows it out of the water. Yeah. But uh, uh, but I, I look if the, the one thing I did notice with the Kia Four was the same thing that people complain about with the contacts is you keep covering the rangefinder with your finger unless you start using the contacts claw. But not with on this, the Nikon. Right? Not on the Nikon. They thought about this, and it is a lot more natural to hold. Right. Uh, I, I've you know. The, the one thing I'd probably say I, I could prefer is if the shutter button was maybe a little bit more forward. Yeah. I, I find it a little bit too far back uh, for, for my liking. Uh, but apart from that, I mean, it winds beautifully. It, it, it just, yeah, it feels nice just to sort of, you know, even just click it and shoot it. So, well, you know, as somebody who's never shot any Nikon rangefinders, um, but has shot plenty of contacts, my question would be is how much is it like shooting a Nikon F? Like, um, if, you put, if you put it like a waist level finder on a Nikon F, would you be like two thirds of the way to the uh, S2? No, I think this is a lot more refined. I, I find this is a lot more refined compared to the Nikon F. Uh, the F2 probably gets a little bit closer, uh, but it just feels smoother. Uh, it, it just feels like it, yeah, it, it's got quality pieces on there i find that the f though quality camera it's still you know they probably went into much larger production numbers so they they probably automated more or used less materials or something i don't know but this this just feels heavier more solid yeah. um and yeah i'm a i love rangefinders so yeah that, that that's probably a bit of a unfair well, comparison I, I mean I'll I'll extrapolate that for you, Anthony, and say that there, you know, obviously you know there's a difference between a rangefinder and an SLR with the moving mirror. True. Um, the F was minus the mirror box 90% an SP. So the S2 predates the SP, but they're both very smooth. Um, it there's just something different about the snick of a rangefinder versus the kachunk of a SLR, yeah. right? And while the F is a, a very good camera it's well built i mean nobody needs me to to commend it because it's aren't, clearly... aren't the controls in the same place yeah they're very similar very similar mm. i mean they like i said they literally took the body of the sp stretched it by a couple millimeters added in a mirror box and that's essentially and a prism uh and that's essentially the nikon f compared to the sp i, I think you've um, actually I... said this before that the even the shutter release it's too far back on the F and they've yep. corrected that on the F2. That's, I think it was you that said that, Mike. It is. I've said that multiple times that that's one of the reasons I 100% prefer the F2 over the original F is because in the F2, they moved it forward. And it's one of those things where people probably go, come on, really? 
Like he's actually going to complaining about the location of the shutter release, but it's not until you hold it. There's just something about where the shutter release is on the Nikon range finders and the F where it's just, it's not quite where your finger wants to be. Like in my yeah. mind, when I do my reviews, I always have that chart at the top and there's one, I give us a, a scale of zero, one or two points for ergonomics. And it, 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 for my criteria, a camera that has a two, which is th the highest score I can give in that area, a two for ergonomics. When I pick it up, my hands should naturally grab it where it needs to be grabbed. And my fingers should naturally fall where they need to be to function properly. Like a and, medalist. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but in the night, and, and, and again, it's hard for me to say this because I love the Nikon range finders. I love the S2. It is a great camera, Theo, but you, you've, you've, you've already detected my one. I wish this was better. <laughs> and that's one thing that like the Nikas um, and the later, you know, Japanese screw mount range finders corrected is they moved the shutter release forward. So when you grab it, your right hand, your right index finger just naturally falls where that shutter release is. And it's not a big difference, but it's it's when you have a camera that that's that good and that smooth and that nice that when you when you have to go down the list of potential things to complain about a shutter release being slightly too far back is but the only thing that I, I really could say that's that's I don't love about that camera. But we um, should we're going to need to put a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. Uh -huh. It says that if you are considering an Nikon S2 or if you own an Nikon S2, do not listen to this episode. Yeah. Because it's going to ruin your experience yeah. with the camera and, for the rest of your life. And I don't want to do that, but that 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 it's true. I mean, Theo, you, uh, look, you, you noticed it too. But but to you know, taking all that in, I absolutely love shooting it. Yeah, uh, it, it is a lot of fun. I, I reckon, Anthony, you would, especially if you enjoy shooting your contacts, I, yeah. I think you... You would absolutely love shooting this camera. Right. So, well, I, um, I love shooting the F too. You know, I love the contacts. Yeah. I love the F. I probably would. You and would love that. You know, hopefully, hopefully one of these days I'll get a chance to. By if the way, what was was that a was that a Greek camera strap on your uh uh Nikon? <laughs> not quite. It's blue, but it's not quite Greek. <laughs> but no, is it isn't isn't it made in Greece? Oh yes, it is. You're right. The Hyperion yeah. straps. Yeah. I, I always buy the Hyperion straps. My my yeah. favorite cheap camera straps. Oh, they are fantastic. I mean, they are. I, I, I've got, I've got a Vitessa L here with with another one, and and I've got a, uh, uh, I've even got a Pen F here with with one oh, on yeah, there. Yeah, no, I I, just... I I I have like a, a shoebox full of them, and whenever mm. I pull out a new camera, that I just go right. That's I prefer those. They're 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 very well made and comfortable and affordable. It's it's probably too late for the listeners now, but uh, if you're thinking of buying a photographer some presents, the Hyperion straps uh, always do go well. And they're like eighteen dollars. I don't always mm. put a strap on my camera, but when I do, I use Hyperion straps. And you can get them on Etsy in the U.S., which is convenient. Um, I don't know that they sell direct in the U.S., but they you oh they get, do yeah do they you can they have a website. What's yeah, 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 and you can like do custom orders with like different colors of, <laughs> of oh, wrap cool. with different colors of, of cord, and they actually have some nice leather straps too. I've got I've got their braided strap, and I've got one of the flat straps, uh, leather, and they're extremely nice. We'll and for me, it's a bonus a... that it's Greek. There you right. go. Well, I wonder if they have a Camerosity yellow and red 
uh, version. After they, they do, you could do that. One, they'll do it. You, yeah. you absolutely could do that. All right. Well, we'll have to have a partnership. <laughs> yeah, one of these sure days, we'll have idea. swag. One day. <laughs> All right. Uh, so actually, we, we mentioned your... the, just before we move off the contacts. Yeah. Anthony, I've got something I'm going to send you. Um, I'm not sure if you've got this, but this is a guide oh, from the 1950s of the contact. Now, I don't have a contact, so it's a bit useless and lost on me. But I know I, you I've never watch seen it. that one. Yeah, it's it's from Focal Press. Uh, from uh, from the best I can actually work out, it's from the 1950s, early 1950s. It talks about the different contacts um, cameras um like that oh very cool now the the only the only downside to this is i bought this when i was living in london now when you live in london your mailbox is your door front door ah because yes. yeah so i i will you know i was starting to collect a few bits and pieces around cameras around them when i was living in london and we got our dog it's the first time i've owned a dog now puppy dog and things coming through the mail. <laughs> so the last couple of pages are in this envelope here. So. <laughs> well, make but, sure you individually put those in uh, in a um, um, Ziploc bag for when it gets on the side of the road near Anthony's that's, house. That's right. We have history there in terms of how things get delivered to Anthony from Australia. But I thought you might enjoy, enjoy this considering um, you like your contacts cameras. Absolutely. Kurt... Kurt. Another Kurt thing. Kurt had an entire box of those focal press guides. I mean, it it was like he has duplicates upon duplicates upon duplicates of some of the same ones. It's like they made, I didn't even know this, but they made focal guides for like, like the Olympus auto eye, you know, like one-off models. I I have one for a Paraflex. Um, they've made them for like the Argus C4. It's, it's amazing the degree of how many, you know, what the variety was that they made those guides for. And they're pretty neat. They're, you know, they're like, it's not quite an instruction manual. It's like a little bit of tips and tricks, you know, uh, a little bit about the accessories. Like I could see, I, I assume, Paul, by the time you had your own store, they probably weren't being printed anymore. But no. I could picture like one of those wire racks that spins. Mm -hmm. Probably you had a whole bunch of them in there for the different models or something like that. Yeah, there was another, there were some, Hove took over from Focal okay. Press. Yeah, like you'd always see those, like what year were you born in, you know, and then they'd go down, they'd have all the different years or greeting cards or uh, focal, focal guides, but um, that's cool. That's an easy thing. So go ahead, Paul. Oh, I was going to say, Mike had uh, like 10 boxes of books. Oh my God, I was there today. How are you doing I, with I, that? <laughs> the, I mean, I, there's some of the books are really neat. I mean, I have duplicates of Bob Rodoloni's books. Um, I want to get him to actually sign one because um, he did give me one of his books that was for somebody else. So it's like dedicated to somebody else. But I want to get Kurt's book actually autographed by by Robert. Um, and I mean, I have Wes Loader's book. I have Peter Kitchiman's book. I have multiple McCown's guides. Um, and those are just the ones that I know. You know, I mean, there's so many neat books that I, I just don't know what to do with. I mean, I don't want to throw them away, but I don't even know that they're worth anything to try and sell, you know? McEwen's. I need a McEwen's. You need a McEwen's? I have a couple of them, but I don't know. I mean, if you want them, I could send them to you, but for one, they're heavy, so shipping would be high. But if you've never seen a McEwen's, it's it's literally just a price guide. Like, you're not – I don't mm. – yeah. I've – for my – 
I, I don't want to like down talk them because I know a lot of people love those books and I don't want to take away from what Jim McEwen's done. But for people like me that likes researching the history, it's, it's really not that useful for that because each model, there's maybe a sentence or two. About yeah, but, oh, that's fine, but it gives you that list. That, that's yeah, well, that. it's the, 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 the thing that I like about it is that I can it helps me identify yeah. a model when there are a lot of models. Yeah. Although I, I will say that, you know, I've got the, the McCowan's uh, Kodak specific guide because uh, they, apparently they, they broke out a couple of different models and um, it's not the most accurate source of information in the world. Well, and keep in mind, in his defense, they haven't printed one since what, 2008 or nine or something like that. So a lot of the research that guy did on the, the versions that are out there, you know, or early 1.0 internet websites and researching by by word of mouth so i i do believe that they're like you said anthony there's a lot of misinformation in there but at for the time that was the bible that was yeah. what you had i mean there wasn't a better option there wasn't a camera wiki or collectible and not not that i have a lot of value in that either but you know there wasn't the, the repository of information that's out there like there is today so so but, mike from a from a used bookstore in jacksonville I came up with a book that that I, I challenge you to find this among Kurt's books. Okay. It is the captain, L. Ron Hubbard's Writing with Light. Oh, boy. And it is insane. It is the most pompous. It's L. Ron Hubbard, master photographer, talking is through his Scientology. Yeah, yeah. He's the founder of Scientology. And this is actually published. This is published by the uh, Scientology Press. Uh, to, to, to like impress upon you what an incredible expert L. Ron Hubbard is. And, you know, it, it, it's it's the most pompous 1950s style collector user. <laughs> I am the master of photography uh, book. It, it's, it's kind of humorous, but it's also kind of terrifying because we have a very similar collection. <laughs> it's like I'm looking through them like, ooh, L. Ron, we share a lot of taste here. Tom Cruise like, is going to show up at your house and borrow some of your cameras. He's got like an entire section on like, you know, Voigtlander ephemera and, 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 you know, here's my Bessa two that is the captain <laughs> of six by nine photography. Um, yeah. You, you just, you have to, you have to like read it in a, like a, an exaggerated L Ron Hubbard voice. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of the, I, I guess it's ironic um, as a bit of, of pop cultural uh, ephemera, but uh yeah, it's uh, just, I mean, just, just I'll, I'll put a photo of it. Just a picture of L. Ron posing with his, his Graflex on the front. And, and you can tell he's in a lab coat and, uh, and his white tie and his black shirt. And uh, he, he's he's very, very serious about his photography. Not that uh, it's, it's exactly the same, but there was a guy in the 70s named Jerome Katz that did a couple books. Um about the one he one of them he did was on the Cardin, the premier instrument Cardin, which was the American Leica. Um, and he's done another one about um, I'm drawing a blank, but the the designer that did the Kodak Bantam special and um, the extra and the metalist. But uh, this guy, Teague. No, Teague was the designer. It was the guy who designed the mechanics of it. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it. But the Jerome Katz book, Dan Houseman, let me borrow it. And it's it's been out of print for many, many years. And the, the, the information the guy has in there is very, very good. 
but he is like what you were describing as like uses every adjective in the dictionary to describe how much of a genius and a patriot. And of course, nobody could ever hope to have built this camera except the genius of uh, Peter Carden, you know, Harmon Carden, like today audio, it's, it's the same lineology. Yeah. So the Carden um, was designed by Peter Carden. And basically, when you couldn't get Leicas from Germany anymore, the U.S. military still wanted them because they were good cameras. So they went to Ernst Lights of New York, which th- there was a New York uh, factory um, at the time. And they said, can you build us Leicas? And they're like, no, we can't do it. We can only make like small parts. It's too difficult to make them. So the U.S. government went to Kodak and said, can you make a Leica? And Kodak's like, no, we can't do it. Uh, they were working on the extra at the time anyway. Well, Premier Instrument Corp ended up being the ones that answered the call. And this book goes so far above and beyond about how much of a patriot this guy was. And reading this book, it's like, um, I don't know, it, it, it's 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 humorous and the praise that it gives the guy who made it. But um, if you can find one, they're very interesting. The Cardin's a cool camera. Um, the book is pretty hard to find. Like I said, it was written in 75. Um, but the guy who wrote it, like actually had firsthand contact. Um, so, you know, there's some information in there that doesn't exist anywhere else. But yeah, when you read some of those books that get a little bit embellished on uh, on the facts, it's kind of kind of funny to read. Well, it's like like I'm, I'm sitting there looking at the table of contents for L. Ron Hubbard here. And uh, um, uh, he's got the Roloflex collection, the St. Hill yeah. Dark Room. My letter to Professor Land. <laughs> <laughs> what he should have done better. The Linhoff, the Nikonos, the Voigtlander, the Rolly 35, the Mino- the Mamiya C33, and then it's like uh, cameras of the photo shoot organization, the Lisbon Maritime Museum, the Minox, the Minolta CLE, uh, and then he's got a whole section here on, on his, his, his Leica collection, and it closes with a quote, I won't take a photograph of anybody or photographs for anybody unless i feel it will do them some good oh my god oh boy <laughs> now when was this written about would you guess this is l ron hubbard that's l ron that's no 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 what when oh mm. when was this written good god um 80s i would say 80s yeah i have to look for that one um <laughs> funny let's see here oh I see what you mean about being scary on similar camera collections because that kind of goes down my line as well. And it's because of you that I've got the Zeiss and the Voigtlander collections going so heavily at the moment now, Anthony. Uh, actually, this, this, was, this was 99, so... Uh, oh, wow. Elrond was dead by then. I, yeah. Uh, <sighs> yeah, I noticed grave. you didn't mention the King Regula. <laughs> I know. <laughs> or the Mimia 7. Big, big blind spot in Scientology, you know? <laughs> The Moonies. The King Regula was the camera of the movie. <laughs> so I had a story that I had meant to share uh, a couple episodes ago, and we just we got sidetracked. It's nothing major, but it just made me laugh. Uh, we talk about some of the characters that come out at the camera shows, and I went to um, Abe Vinegar's Photorama twice in a row. He had a September show in Chicago and then another one in November. And I was able to, to offload a bunch of stuff, but uh, at both shows, I just loaded up a bunch of boxes with stuff, mostly from Kurt's collection. And I, I had it 
I, I had to have been one of the lowest priced people at that show. I mean, sometimes you go to these camera shows and some of these guys are selling things um, for, for, for eBay plus prices, but I had stuff 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks. So I had a whole table of TLRs and this guy, I honestly don't know the dude's name. Even if I did, I don't want to share it, but uh, he ended up buying a mint condition Minolta auto cord from me in the box cosmetics, nine and a half out of 10, but it did have that problem. That's very common to auto cords where the focus arm kind of becomes detached. It wasn't broken. Some of them actually will crack this one. The arm was intact. It just felt like it become detached under there. So it's going to need some work. Now a mint condition in the box, Minolta auto cord, Paul, what? 150, 200. You're muted. Yeah, 150 bucks. 150. So I had it for 50. And I was very clear. I'm like, it works fine. I'm in the shutter fire. The lenses were clear. Every, the leather wasn't peeling. I was just like, the only problem you have here is this, this arm. So this guy buys it for me for 50 bucks. Then he comes back like 20 minutes later and says, I just showed this to somebody else. Um, it was it was Tony Campos, but this has nothing to do with Tony. I, I have no ill will to Tony. He's a great guy. Um, but he's like, yeah, you need to get that fixed. It might be broken. You know, you're gonna have to tear her thing apart. The guy's like, I don't have to deal with that. He goes, can I trade this for something else? I was like, sure, whatever. Just give it back to me. You know, it was only 20 minutes later. I was like, I was very clear to you. I told you this needs to be fixed, but now you don't want to get it fixed. Fine, whatever. So he ends up getting uh, an Ansco automatic reflex three, five, uh, which is what another $150 camera. Would you say usually? Yeah. 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 Okay. So 50 bucks. This one was fine. I mean, it was a little stiff. Uh, it wasn't quite a 10 out of 10. Um, I'd say maybe an eight out of 10, few scuffs here and there, but overall in, in great shape. And it didn't, in my opinion, it worked. Okay. So he took it home. I leave. So this was the September show. So the November show, I come I'm there again. The same guy walks up. He goes, I bought this from you. It, it doesn't work. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, for one, you already swapped out. I, I, you're, you're getting these things for 50 bucks. I'm like, if you're not happy with it, list it on eBay. You'll get 100 for it, you know? Um, and, and he like wanted me to uh, swap them out with something else. And at that time, I just didn't have any $50 TLRs. So I had to kind of put my foot down and be like, I'm not giving you your money back. Sorry, dude. You know, you already are still ahead on this $50 ansco automatic reflex but uh um overall i'd say the experiences i had with the buyers were great and i think most people realize that when someone's there selling stuff for below value even if it's not perfect you don't go back and complain about it so see that's the advantage to ebay on ebay you can block buyers that are yeah good. yeah the I camera shows you can't do that no. i just sold a uh a leica 50 millimeter apo sumacron which is a $5,000 lens. And uh, it, it was literally, it was a 12 year old lens, but it literally had never been used. I mean, it was just mm -hmm. new in the box. And so I shipped it to this guy and the, the, he, uh, 10 minutes after he gets, I get a call from him. And he says, uh, this lens has terrible haze. And I said, well, that's interesting because I, I checked it very carefully. And I didn't see any haze. So uh, he sends it back, which is fine. I mean, I expect to get returns. So it came back. It was like $4,500. And I get it. And the lens is perfect. There is a filter on it, a B plus W filter that had a smudge on the outside uh, of the filter. That's what he was seeing. Oh so he leaves goodness. me feedback. And he says, uh, good seller, but uh, I had to return the, you left me neutral feedback. 
Okay. He says, uh, a good seller who took the lens back, but it had uh, had really serious haze. And, and I, I rarely, I mean, I don't get negative or neutral feedback. Very, very rare. So I responded to him and I said, uh, no haze. It was a dirty free filter that was on the lens. I relisted and resold it to a happy buyer. And then I blocked him. Yeah. So he's done. But uh, there's another funny one. I got to tell this. Um, a couple of days ago, I sold a, a 100-2.8 uh, lens nice. for the Exacta. For right. the Exacta. Uh, for the top core. It was a top core. A 100-2.8 to a guy in New Zealand. And so it had a problem. The hood that was with it was not the right hood. So I had to, we were messaging back and forth and, and we were getting along great. Everything was just perfect. And he says, can I ask you about another question, uh, an odd camera that I'm thinking about buying that I can't find anybody that's ever tried one? I said, sure, what is it? He says, a, a, a Plabel 69W. <laughs> and I said, I have one of those. <laughs> and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who is this? And I said, this is Paul from, from Camerosity. He says, I thought it was. <laughs> he's one of our <laughs> listeners. He turns out he's a great guy. We we messaged for about an hour and now he's uh, he said, what else do you have in your store that I might be interested in? Do you really introduce yourself as Paul from the Camerosity podcast? You know, it's funny. When I worked for 30 some years, I never told anyone my last name. I was Paul from either Click Camera or Paul from Fairborn Camera. And no one knew my last name. So now when uh, when I, I wind up on eBay, my eBay store doesn't have my last name on it either. It's Paul Chris. So they still don't, a lot of people don't know my last name, but a lot of people do know me now through this podcast. So, uh, so Paul, did, did you mention, camera. when he asked if you had any other cameras to mention, did you mention the, uh, the Rolly SL66X? I did mention that as a matter of fact. And, and another one of our listeners is thinking about that one too. I, you know, I've been trying to flog that, man. That is, you know, of all the cameras that I shot this last year, you know, I mean, I've, I've been lucky in that, that there've been several purchases that Paul has made from estates down in Florida where I've sort of been able to act as an intermediary and it's given me the chance to, to film test these cameras before they go to Paul to make sure that they're in good order. And of all the cameras that I shot, I think in the last three years that SL66 X was by far my favorite camera that I've shot. I mean, you know, if I had the cash, I'd just buy it outright because somebody's missing it. Somebody's missing the boat on that camera because I mean, I, I'm a person who dislikes shooting House of Blood. I don't have any problem with, with shooting six by six. I mean, I'm shooting a Roliflex right now um, as a, as a project camera, but uh, as, 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 as that, as that form factor goes, uh, maybe it's because I have you know, eight years of experience with, with my Roliflex uh, the, the SL66, just the way the controls fit in your hands, where the buttons are, the layout, sort of like what Theo's talking about uh, and what Mike's talking about with ergonomics. And I pick up that camera and it's just yeah. really easy for me to use. I don't Sometimes any... it's the, the littlest thing makes the difference. And when it, when it, when you hit that perfect balance of ergonomics, it's like transcendal, you know, and how it, your opinion is of a camera when well, it just that fits camera you. Too, it, it's so cool because it's, you know, it's a focal plane shutter and the helical is built into the lens it's or into the body. It's a bellows. So if you have a set of extension tubes, you can take basically any lens ever made and mount it to that, to an extension tube and use it on that camera. And, 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 and you can flip the lenses to make them all, every lens into a macro. Yeah. I mean, they, they, all, they all have mounting, they, they, they have the lens mount on both sides of the lens so that you can flip it around. 
And it's one of the few cameras that like my wife, Janet, you know, she sees me using a lot of cameras and she sees everything I shoot. It's one of the few cameras that I've shot with where she would look at the camera or look at the photo, the, the end result and go, that looks better than the other cameras that you're using. You know, the, there's something about that camera that's just really magical. And somebody's going to be very lucky to pick that up off of you at some point. So say yeah. which one it is again. It's the the Roloflex SL66X. What is the X? Was the X it was a limited edition from, you know, there's not a lot of information about these cameras out online. Uh, but from what you've read, it sounds like it was a custom order camera. They only made a few dozen a year. And it was designed for uh, Studio Flash Sync. Okay. Paul, Paul can talk more about it than, than I can. But it's got like TTL um, flash metering with a certain light setup in the studio. Yeah, they made 250 of them. And when they replaced it, it was replaced with the SL66 SE, which did have more electronics. And and we all know what that means when you yeah. put... Uh, so this is a fully manual camera. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, it's like fully manual. It's, like, it's like a 500 CM. It's the SCA flash sync yeah. system that uh, Metz had because it's you know German camera. You know, it's, it's nothing that I would ever use myself, but the fact is they were custom cameras. They were like hand-built versions of that camera. And, you know, people talk about those being an unreliable camera. Man, I whew, I had no problems working with that camera. And I put probably 10 rolls of film through it. No, it was a very trouble-free camera. I mean, I sold them new uh, at, at a certain point. The SL66 was on the market for a long time. Yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. I mean, it started in about 1965, I think, or, or even maybe a little earlier than that. You and, know, that was uh, one camera Kurt did not have. <laughs> I don't recall seeing a single one of those. No. What about wasn't there a 35 millimeter SLR like the 8008 or something like that that they made? A little box it's, it's a boxy sure. little thing. 6, yeah. 6008. 6, 6, battery battery issues are knocking those out now. Okay, so they're not very good. They, well, from what like I've heard, people, I know they have too, them. Uh you pretty much have to have the battery packs rebuilt. Well, and not only that, they they were a they had a 35 millimeter interchangeable bat. And the film traveled vertically, as I recall. Yeah. So it was a very strange uh, system. I I actually sold one of those, and uh, the guy that bought it just absolutely hated it. Yeah, a friend of mine was going to lend me his. Um, I thought it was like a two thousand or something like that, rather than it, that. It was numbering. a two thousand. Uh, uh, it was a two thousand. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, and it looked like a beautiful camera. I've seen you use it a couple of times, but it died. It what you just said. It died. Um, before I, he had a chance to lend it out to me, uh, which I'm, you know, obviously a little, yeah, less upset than he is, but it's, yeah, it's something I, I've never got a chance to shoot with. So speaking of cameras that have died, um, I'm at a crossroads for this one, but this is my most recent gas. I got out Contax N1. I ended, you, it's, it's really difficult to find this camera body with a lens. It's one of those, the Japanese sellers love to separate. So I had to purchase the body and lens from two different sellers. Um, the lens is the Vario Sonar uh, 2485, 3.5 to 4.5. So it's a zoom. You're not a huge one, but I mean, it's got a, I don't know, I guess it's the 72 millimeter front filters. It's a pretty big lens, metal mount. But the, so the uh, Kyocera, who was making Yashica at the time, was making the contacts, you know, the S2, the RTSs and such like that. But um, the ends were the first one to support uh, in-body autofocus. So it's they call it the end mount. So they actually changed. They went away from the contact CY mount, which was all the manual focus 
bodies. Um, the, you have the Aria, right, Anthony, and the S2. You love those cameras. No, I've got I've got the ST, and ST. the ST was the bigger version of the Aria. The Aria okay. was their quote unquote women's camera. It was a smaller scale camera, okay. compact. Uh, the ST was kind of like an alternative or replacement to the RTS. Yeah. So here I'll show you real quick for size. I mean, this is now this one has the extended grip. So here's a Nikon F5, and here's the context. So the context isn't quite as tall. But I guess it's not gonna it's not gonna show up too good. Thickness front to back they're about the same. Uh, side to side width wise they're about the same. The F5 just is bigger because it has the the battery grip which the context does not have. But this thing's a beast and there's so much to like about it. But I have really terrible luck with context SLRs because I was talking about this in the Discord. Um, Kyle Lou had made a post about context SLRs, and this one has this fault where it keeps saying E E E E E four E's on the LCD, and this is the most strangest electrical gremlin that I've ever heard. Because now that I know about it, and I didn't know this before I bought the body, but it's very common. Almost half of these cameras have this. The context six forty five has exact same problem. So whatever electronic gremlin is in this camera happens to the other ones from the same era it happens after exactly five shots doesn't matter what mode you're in you could be in program mode you can be in aperture priority mode shutter priority mode you could even be in manual mode with one exception i'll get to a second but you take the battery out which is really easy you just kind of flick the battery release pull it out about a millimeter just so the the contacts it, it, it you know loses contact with the battery put it back in of course um popped out and then the message goes away. And then you can shoot exactly five shots again. Uh, you could you could shoot them. I've tried like five really quick at back to back. I've tried a shot, wait a minute, a shot, a wait a minute. It does not matter what order or what setting you use. On the sixth shot, it always fails with one exception. And I found this online. I'm like, no way. If you set it to manual mode and set the shutter to one eight thousandth of a second, which is the fastest it goes, <laughs> then you can fire it all day long. So whatever EPROM firmware, whatever fault this camera has, ignores the fault if you're at the fastest shutter speed mode, but only in manual mode, but literally any other setting, you get five shots error. Pop the battery out, pop it back in, boom, you get five more. Other than that, it seems to work okay. Um, have you have you thought about contacting uh, Nippon Photo Clinic in New York City? I did. I already emailed them, and they have failed to. Res they have not responded to me yet. Really? Oh, it's yes. probably because of the holidays. They yeah. they worked on both of my cameras. They're really good, and I actually they got to the I got to show up and like visit their space in person. Okay, and they were incredibly gracious, and it's a very cool shop. Right. When I searched online for the possibility of repairing this, they were the only one that ever came up oh, with yeah. Nippon in New York. So. I did email them and you're right. It was right before the holidays. So I sent it on December 20th. So um, I'm still hoping that they do get back to me, but um, I, I want to see if I can, can get them. it. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I could try that. But I mean, I paid less for the body than the lens. So I, I don't, I'm not that deep into it. And it's almost like, I think I like this thing so much that I'm just willing to accept having to pop the battery out every sixth shot. <laughs> to just keep using it because otherwise it works great. I mean, the viewfinder is awesome. slice you down. Let's say that again. Oh yeah. It slows, it slows me down. Yeah. You down. And, you know, <laughs> and I, and the, you know, speaking about what we were just talking about the ergonomics, I mean, without even having to think about it, when you grab this, the shutter release just naturally falls 
in that front spot. And we talked about on the Practina, the East German episode, about how Practina's always had that front kind of angled shutter release. Mm. Well, you know, this is angled similarly to like how most modern like DSLRs are, DSLRs are, but it's kind of at an angle right up front there. And it just sort of naturally falls where your fingers are. So the ergonomics, it has a thumb grip in the back. The, the, the finger grip is just, you know, everything about it is just really nice. And, and I, I love using the camera. Um, it just sucks that, you know, I, if, if I knew that it's never going to get any worse than this, I, I, I would be, I wouldn't even think about it, but it's like, I just know that at some point it's probably just going to die completely. But now, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm loath to send you any cameras. Cause I know that you have a gazillion cameras yeah. right now, but if you want, I'll send you my ST, which has been fully serviced by Nippon. Okay. It's one of my, it's, it's my, it is absolutely my favorite modern SLR. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, love, a, I love my I love my S2, which is the full manual one, but the ST is the uh, the automated one. Well, I I made the comment a few minutes ago, but my bad luck with contacts is because a couple years ago I wrote about this on my site. I got an RTS three, which was extremely high end. It was probably the most advanced manual focus SLR ever made. Um, it, I, it even beats the Canon T90 in terms of what this thing can do, but it's still a manual focus camera. And everything on the camera worked except the film advance. It, for some reason, no matter what I did, it would not advance the film. I mean, I would shove the leader in. I would try different angles. I tried taking scissors and cutting different shapes into the leaders, just thinking maybe somehow I could cut it to the right shape and somehow it would grab it. But nothing would happen and it would just stay on zero and it, the shutter yeah. would fire all day long. Everything seemed to be working, but then you pop open the film door and the leader's just sitting there. It just would not grab it. So I ended up getting rid of that camera too. So I'm 0 for 2 in high-end contacts SLRs, but well, when I, you I, I can send you the ST and the S2. Yeah. The, S, the S2 is like the is like a is like a Nikon FM2, 100 percent manual. So okay. you have to cock it, you have to rewind yeah. it. The ST has the automatic film advance, automatic rewind. You know, so it's like a it's like a fashion camera. Okay. As fast as you can pull yeah. the trigger. This thing's nice. And I mean it's heavy though. I mean, it's definitely not a this is not a zoo camera. This yeah. this hanging from your neck a long day at the zoo uh, would definitely get tiresome. But for short stints, um, what I've what I've been shooting it in is the weather has been miserable up here lately. Uh, I don't think we've seen the sun in over three weeks. But um, I was up in northern Michigan for Christmas and I took it out with me there and just put it in full auto mode and just let it fire away, uh, you know, nailing exposure in every shot. So um, it's great for that. You know, if I were to not that I do a lot of concert photography, but if I were to go see a show. Uh, I'd be willing to bet it'd be great for for those situations as well, but yeah, I also I'll, need to I'll, send you all the super contests. Okay, um, I would be interested in the contacts only, and and the only reason I say it that way is I just I have so many roll film cameras that I'm never going to get to. Um, I I want to, I absolutely do. I have one of the um the Ensign Commandos that Theo had serviced by Jess. Uh, I, I got one of those too, and I'm really excited to try and use it. But I I am finding motivation this year especially in the last six months to be at an all-time low for me and when i do shoot it ends up being cameras like this because i can just put in a roll of film and just not have to think about it um i am i am falling victim to like fully automatic cameras so the the point and shoot episode we just did had a lot of interesting things for me uh that, that i've enjoyed shooting lately speaking about enjoying shooting lately 
I am also supremely jealous of Paul because Paul has a camera that I have coveted that I'll probably never even hold in my life oh, yeah. that Same. he has been testing around uh, Yellow Springs. If you've seen Paul on the streets in Yellow Springs with a very wide angle Voigtlander lens, um, Paul, why don't you tell us about what you've been uh, what you've been oh, shooting? Um, a Leica M10 monochrome, which Dan Tamarkin on one of the podcasts got me thinking about because Dan really liked it. And uh, I've had a couple of M10s and, M11, and an M11. Got an M11 from Kurt. And uh, I never really cared much about them. But the M10 monochrome is it's a black and white only camera. And they took a lot of the crap out of the, out of the, the optical path over the sensor. So there's no filters or anything. The, uh, the quality of the image is just unbelievable. And it doesn't matter what ISO you use. There's no grain. I mean, it's just the dynamic range on it's just unbelievable. So, you know, I I wound up buying a 100-foot roll of the Orwo UN-54. Yeah. And uh, now I got to try to flog that off on somebody because I know I'm never going to shoot it. Anthony, are you? did you raise your hand? <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, we had an internal chat about this. I think I've got like... 1500 feet of film in my bulk rollers right now so i i, I but but man that un54 is that was such a screaming deal that you found it's a discontinued film it's a film that that lomo repackaged i don't remember if it was potsdam or berlin but it's the whatever the 100 iso cinefilm in the uh in the in the berlin series uh, of lomo um it is one of my absolute film favorite films of the last 20 years um and it's out of it's out of production when the new management took over at Orvo, they discontinued all their black and white films. Um, so it, I mean, that it, the price that you got that rolled out, I really want to, but man, I just bought, I just bought a hundred, I just bought, I just bought 300 feet of, of Eastman vision three films, including another hundred feet of double X. I just, you know, I've got 400 feet of that XT left. I've got, yeah, you've got a lot of film. I've got so many hundreds of feet of film that I just can't imagine needing that film but i covet that film hey who has anybody ever shot the uh, kodak bw 400 cn the c41 yeah i I have i think back in the day when it was it was out as i I shot a 20 year old roll of it and it didn't age well you sent me a 10 pack of it paul oh okay but i have two more if anybody wants it well anthony uh hit the nail on the head it doesn't age well um, even though it develops as uh, in C41 chemicals as a black and white film, um, all the ones that I've shot had heavy base fog. Yeah. Uh, it's it's still viable. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can still get images from it. But um, they're like I, I've spoken before. I'm not a huge fan of extremely high contrast black and white films. That's why I like Panatomic X so much, because I love the shadow detail. Uh, but when you shoot, a, especially a black and white film, where there's a lot of base fog, if you try and visualize in your head contrast, you know, your peaks and your lows, when you have base fog, you're essentially crushing the contrast. And there's a lot we can do today with good scanning. Um, I believe we can get way better results out of expired film than the old mini labs ever could back in the day. Uh, But there's just something about the images just look flat on it. So um, unless you have a source of what, what's it called again? Four hundred CN, BW BWCN. Okay, this the so, so it's the same film, basically same style of film that Alfred XP two. 
Yeah, exactly. Now the XP two, I've had much better luck with. Yeah, it's, um, it's just a chromogenic film. It's right. It's a color negative film that prints black and white. They made and on those the, uh, on the Kodak. Actually, had better results like developing it in Xtol than developing it in C forty one. Interesting. I've never tried that. I sh I should so try. Um, bleach. That's interesting. Yeah. What's so. I had the opposite problem. I recently did a batch. I usually, the way I develop film, um, I don't do it as instantly as, as like you do, Anthony. I just wait till I get a pile of stuff to do. And I tend to, to pick and choose the black and white more frequently because it's just, I can get through it faster. But I did a recent um, batch of, of black and white film. And I don't know what the hell I did, but I somehow threw in a roll of Fuji 400 color, some superior oh. in there. And I developed it in HC 110. And I was impressed actually, like there's decent contrast. The, the images look pretty good uh, developing a C41 color film in uh, HC 110. So I'm going to have to try some of that Kodak, um, the, the black and white chromogenic film in, in HC 110 and see if I can maybe get better results than doing it the way it's supposed to be done. But if you do find that film, it's neat, you know. Um, one thing, uh, uh, actually, a cool thing you can do. And granted, you could do this in Photoshop, but if you don't want to do it in Photoshop and you want to get it the authentic way, you do the chromogenic films, develop it as a black and white image using C forty one chems, and then scan it as a color film. Even though it's a it's a color film with black and white images, and you'll get kind of a neat bluish, you know, almost like a cyanotype kind of hue to the black and white images which i don't know i thought looked kind of neat um like i said I, I guess you could probably add that with a filter in photoshop but uh you can get it the real way the, the, i suppose the other benefit of scanning that as a, a color photo is uh being a c41 type film you can actually uh do the the dust and scratch removal that's on true your scanner too. Yep. because the ice. normally on black and white films you can't do that right that's correct yeah, no, I mean you'll you'll get good images out of them. I just think that um, it it it's it's at that point where unless it's been truly freezer stored, it's not holding up as well. It, you know, it's like finding old Kodak Gold two hundred and four hundred. I'm to the point where when I find that, I don't even waste my time anymore. Mm. I mean, you, you could still get images out of it, but it's so lackluster. The color shifts are so extreme. The contrast is crushed on them that uh, I, I don't, I no longer enjoy shooting really expired color films anymore. And I think that the, if, the... if you put them in a uh, Lomo LCA though, you can actually get some interesting results, which are fun, but keep in mind, that's exactly what you're getting is fun. It's not, you know, you're not going to get ideal shooting uh, results. You know, I'm obsessive about uh, expired filming. My favorite film of all time is this 500 foot roll of, of, Eastman 5220 XT that I picked up um, is from 1966. And I can, I can get amazing. Like it looks just like Panatomic X that I can get out of that film. But I have a stash that somebody gave me of Portra 400 from the mid two thousands. And boy, I, and it's been freezer stored. I mean, I, it, it came out of his freezer and into my freezer and I cannot get a good roll of film. It's all one. It's both 220 and 120, And I cannot get, it can, I mean, I, I might get, you know, even shooting it at like you know, 150 or 200, I can get okay color and decent images out of it, but they'll, they'll all have damage. Um, it's just a film that has not aged well at all. The only portrait film that I've had really good luck with expired is 800. 
I've shot a number of portrait 800 rolls in, um, usually in 120. And I've gotten great results from those. So I don't know if I just got lucky to have a batch that was stored well. But um, I agree with you. Portra is not a survivor. 160 VC tends to do a little bit better than a lot of the other. That's portraits. true, too. I, the, v, the VC is far less common than the NC. Uh, the VC is vivid. Uh, I, I did shoot a couple VCs before, and I did get good images from those as well. You're right, Theo. Just it's harder to find. Yeah. Yeah, I was lucky. I was given um, a truckload of it by a friend. Um, I'm always oh, that's cool. Now. So, uh, well, but use... yeah, he he didn't need it anymore. So he just gave gave it to me. And it's, I've been working my way through it, uh, which has been quite handy. There was a film that Agfa made, a color film called Agfa Ultra 100, and that was a fantastic color film. I've I hated only... that. Really? <laughs> the ultra. It was super vibrant. Um, I, I figured it was their response to Ektar 100, but the, I've shot a couple rolls of, um, like it's hard to find, but the Agfa Ultra 100, I, I, I really liked. So that's interesting. You didn't care for it. I just got some terrible browns out of that camera. Really? Yeah. I shot it. I shot that my, uh, I actually took, um, a brick of it to, Greece. I was on an expedition to document the the wreck of the Britannic, and we were stuck on this island called Kia in the uh, Aegean Sea. And I shot that aqua film. And going back and like rescanning those uh, uh, negatives after twenty three years, shocked at how vibrant and cool yeah. looking it is. I, that... you know, I just I wish that I had bought more of it when I had the chance. You know, it was just one of those things where I I saw it at a good price and picked it up to go with me uh, on this trip. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think I ever shot it again. Um, it, you can find it, but it's hard. It's but very boy, hard. I, to find. I, I do love that film. There you so. go. Maybe I'm the, I'm the exception here. Now, <laughs> Mike, I've got a question for you. Yeah. How how good are you walking on your toes? Not very good at all. <laughs> I so have how no do you get around in that room of yours? Because I've no. been noticing you picking up cameras off the no. floor. You guys, gonna, <laughs> you guys are going to. I, I have so many corners. Oh, wow. That's a lot cleaner than it was the last time I saw it. Mike, your audio <laughs> went away. You unplugged your audio. Mike, you lost your audio. Now he's on mute. That's what I get for moving stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a lot cleaner than what it was last time I saw <laughs> no, a picture I, of it. I, that was one of my projects for um, uh, Christmas is to at least get the floor to where I could move around. I built, I had a build, you can see right here on my hand is this is a new shelf. Um, that's mostly stuff from Kurt and a lot of it was, it's not even so much that I kept a ton. It's just the stuff I knew I wanted to keep. I had nowhere to put it. So I had to get a place to put it so that I could get that stuff out of the way. And then once I was able to do that, then I was able to, um, start getting through a little bit quicker, um, some of their stuff. So, uh, are, are we at a show and tell spot now here or? Yeah. Yeah. So I, a couple of things, I showed this camera once before the LC wide, we talked about this. It shoots uh half frame, full frame and square. But then I found that I don't think I've ever showed you guys this before. This is the like uh souvenir case for the LC wide. And let me open this thing up for you guys. It comes in this wooden crate, Lomo compact LC wide. And I mean, this box is huge for such a tiny camera, but when you open it up, I mean, I'll give Lomo oops, one, one, one thing is that they do presentation very well. And, you know, they have all this neat um, 
like the camera's actually in this cardboard box. But what I think is really clever here, let me just take it down here. They give you a color negative film. It looks like a Matroska doll, like one of those uh, Russian <laughs> nesting dolls. This is the sample film. I don't, I've never seen this film before. I don't know if they ever sold it separately, but it comes with a book, a hardcover book. That's super cool. Um, I don't know that it's worth the money that these things go for, but I mean, it, it comes with a hardcover book showing you, and it's a couple hundred pages. They're not numbered, but I'd guess at least 150, 200 pages, maybe, you know, of all just, you know, shots that people have done with the LC wide. Um, so the, the presentation is, is very impressive. And, you know, for what's, you know, the, the, we all know the story, the LCA was a cheap camera. I mean, it was just meant to be shot from the hip with little, uh, little regard for composition, not a whole lot of manual control, but, um, people ended up falling in love with that camera for the spontaneity, spontaneity and the uh, distinct looks that it gave. But then they made the wide version. You can get it with, there's actually two books in here. Here's the other book. It comes in the box. And uh, this is more, I don't know, I but guess. Isn't, this is a, isn't it a story of two cameras though? Because the original LCA from the Soviet um, era was, was a cheap and cheerful camera. Right. The Lomography one, though, I thought right. was sold at a premium, and the wide was even another level above that. It is. Yeah, so, I mean, this it, it's not any better in terms of build quality, I think, than the Soviet cameras one, other than it's just newer. You know, it hasn't yeah. suffered the rigors of time quite as bad as the original ones had. But Have you I mean, shot with it? I haven't. I haven't even had a chance to really... Oh, do, do, mate. It is, a, it is you know, a lot of fun. Uh, I... I, I did and I wrote about it and I really enjoyed it. It, yeah. it, it is a it is is a camera that you, you don't have to think much. Um, you're talking about zoo cameras. Th there you go. That, that that's a that's a perfect example I mean, of something to take the, and have a bit of fun with. Presentation on this is. I mean, here's the so I opened up the box within a box and even the even the tissue paper. <laughs> it, it's like this could be wallpaper. You know, it's got the Lomo <laughs> logo on it, LCA. It kind of alternates between blue and red and has some Soviet like buildings on it and stuff. But, you know, here you go. There's another one of the cameras and how they how they presented this. You know, I got to give a lot of credit to whoever did this because they charge a premium. But at least I could say they're, they're giving mm. you a decent amount for your money um, in terms of, you know, if you're into like if you're a collector and you want to keep that kind of stuff did you end um, up with the lca version of the 120 camera yes that's another one that i've always wanted to shoot well i will send this to you anthony oh my gosh here it is another right here. books no, this, it's not as amazingly packaged there is a book in here too though so i'll take this thing out um i mean it's essentially an lca but it shoots 120. i've heard they're fantastic cameras um they might be. <laughs> I mean, for what they are. Yeah, but it comes with a hardcover book too. You know, that's fairly wow. thick in price. You know, showing and it's high uh, matte gloss paper. You know, with a little bit of history. So, I mean, this is actually kind of cool. Like it tells you a little bit of the story of the camera, uh, but it's mostly just sample images that people have shot. So, yeah, this is a six by six camera. Uh, it's the Lomo version, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the medium format version of the LCA. Um, very cool. Well, um, Michael, as long as you're showing and telling, yeah. on the top shelf near the edge of the, the shelf behind you, right uh -huh. you're pointing right at it, 
what is the dome port that looks like an underwater housing it looks actually a uh it looks like a nice underwater housing this thing right here that thing right there no that's the um that's the fairchild k21 uh auto ectar no the oh wow that looks like a dome port it's an aerial camera that's just the, the... aerial ectar yeah wow that's so big it looks like a dome port from an underwater yeah. housing i think it was one of the episodes you dropped off on but i i was actually holding it we were we had um uh, who's who's the military Greg collector? McCreech. Greg yeah, Greg McCreesh was on, and we did a show and tell. Yeah, it's it's because you usually find those lenses already removed from the bodies, mm-hmm. and um, I had one that had the the lens in the camera, um, and I just I was like, you know, it's so impractical. I'm never you can't even shoot it even if you wanted to because those cameras were designed to be like hardwired into the electronics of a surveillance plane or something. So it's got all the. It almost looks like. I don't know what they're called, but that the types of cords that microphones like studio microphones use where it's like, like XLR. a circle. Yeah. I, I don't know what they're called, but it almost looks like that's the type of power that it needs. I bet so, you can hook it up to your Jetta. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but you know, I had, I've had this, this actually, but here's like a gun camera. Um, one of them, you know, this would be on, um, I don't know what it would be on, but it shoots 16 millimeter images on a yeah, reel that's a, still. That's a bell on how, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. It's got a Wallensack lens. Yeah, that's a Navy camera. Navy camera. Yeah, I've never shot it, but I, those are my two military impracticals. But yeah, so here's uh, Paul sent me this. Haven't had a chance to play with the the Auto Spot, the Minolta Auto Spot meter. What's I like looking for the viewfinder on this thing. It's a did circle. You bat- did you put batteries in it? I I haven't tried it yet. No. It's it okay, takes so- a, a nine volt and a double A. And the way it works is when you push the trigger button, there's a wheel that spins. Yeah, it's circular. It's circular. It shows you the app stop shutter speed combination. I can oh, is see. Is that like the Pentax one? Well, this one, this one's different. It's it's same concept, but the fact that uh, it's an <laughs> it's an analog dial, and uh, oh. part of it rotates inside the finder to show you the f stop shutter speed combinations. Oh wow. Yeah, there's no way I can capture this. We've had five of those, and all five of them worked. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Neat. All right, so two more. Wow. Um, I, I had seen this one before, so I knew it was in one of the boxes, and I thought, I, I know what it is, but I and I just thought, what the hell? This is a Frank and Heideck Heidescope. So um, what this is, is a, it's a twin lens kind of TLR. This is the predecessor to the Roloflex. So it's got a waist-level viewfinder, but it's a stereo camera. And I done a little bit of research. The two guys who who uh, who formed that company both used to work for Fotlander. So in essence, um, they tried to convince Fotlander to build a, a twin lens reflex camera. They weren't interested in it. So these two guys left the company, formed their own company. I'm going to butcher the name, but Frank and Heideck, I'm sure in German it's pronounced differently. But um, they didn't have a lot of capital. So this is what they made. They made this from about 1923 uh, until I think the very late 30s. But this was so successful that they were able to get enough capital and um, manufacturing and whatever to build the Roloflex. So that, the Roloflex, that brand spanking new. So this one not only is brand spanking new and works, but I I, I kind of have I've had this one for a while, but I set it aside. And it wasn't until today that I actually went to look up and figure it because I know there's a ton of like variants of this, but this is a type one. Um, it doesn't use roll film. It shoots p- 47 
but I think like off the top of my head, like 110 millimeter plates, stereo images. Um, what I thought was really neat. I don't know if this is going to show, but the serial number, you can't see it, is at the top. It's serial number 777. So Ooh. for people who like strange serial numbers and low serial numbers, this has to be one of the very first ones ever made. Uh, very, very nice shape. The shutter works fine on it. Um, what I think is kind of cool, in addition to being full focusing stereo camera with a full selection of shutter speeds and aperture f-stops, but there's a knob on the bottom that does a rise. So you can actually do a rise where you can actually make the entire like lens assembly lift up. Um, I don't know of any other stereo camera that can do that where like the, the you know, like on a gray flex or something. So I thought that was kind of neat. When I saw the 777, I was like, all right, maybe it's a lucky camera. But then the last one, this one I'm actually going to use. I have the flash for it in the other room. This is called uh, the Simmons Brothers Omega 120. This is the predecessor of the um, the Kony Rapid Omega. It's, it uses the exact same film advance. You pull this lever out and push it back in. This is how you advance the film. So this shifts the film over. It shoots six by seven images. It's got a coupled range finder. The viewfinder is on top. The lens cap folds down. When you um, when you focus it, it's focused with this big knob on the side and the front lens standard goes forward and backwards. And it's just a real, I hate the term steampunk because I think a lot of things get that name that don't really deserve it. But uh, this has a, a very strange appearance to it. But um, it's called the Simmons Brothers Omega 120. So this is a six by seven well, range like finder. Looks like something that's just been thrown together with yeah. spare parts. It was an American company, I think. Um, yeah, because it has a it has a Wollensack lens, Wollensack shutter, Simmons Brothers LLC in New York City, made in the USA. So yeah, it's an American company, American camera. And uh, who was the distributor, Paul, in New York that did Konica? Berkey Marketing. That's right. Yeah. Berkey, yeah, Berkey. Uh, had some, uh, I, I don't remember the entireness of it, but they had some connection with Konica and they ended up buying the remnants of this company and turned it into the Connie rapid Omega, which were also six by seven range finders with this. It's so for people who can't see, there's only four of us here, but there's like a handle on the side that you pull it straight out. It sounds like a shotgun almost. And what it's actually doing is there's a gear like a serrated gear that when you push it back in, it spins a shaft that actually advances the film. So each time oh. you do this, you're moving the film one exposure. Are you Very also cool. cocking the shutter though? Yeah. Uh-huh. Cocks the shutter. Yeah. It's, it's, it does two things. That's then, the way the rapids uh, worked also. I mean, I have a rapid also. They work exactly the same. Despite the cameras looking very different, functionally, yeah. they're exactly the same. The only, the, I'd say the only functional difference is the range finder is um, it's separate. It's like a Leica where you, 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 you range finder through one window and then you move your eye up top to the actual main viewfinder window to compose. Whereas the, uh, the Connie Rapid Omega, it's a combined coincident range yeah. finder. But other than that, yeah. it works pretty much the exact same way. Same kind of film, same exact exposures. Um, the, the lever's really neat. I love how you focus it on the side. I think that's super cool. That's, that's really cool. Um, so, look, we've got uh, we've got some limited time here with uh, Anthony, so I thought I'd throw in my question now. Um, I have a question on what is the strangest camera each of us has actually shot with this year? 
uh, and surprising probably is probably a better word. What's the su my surprising camera that we've shot with this year? So, uh, Anthony, let's, let's start with you. Well, I've kind of got the Alpha and the Omega, uh, but unfortunately not the Omega that Mike just held up, which would be one of the strangest cameras that I've shot. <laughs> um, for, for me, the Alpha is unexpectedly coming into the Zeiss Icon 10X. Uh, which is a camera that I've wanted to play with ever since uh, Kurt Loder. Uh, it, was, it was Kurt, right? That I not Kurt. From Kurt's, Mike, yeah, Michael that was Kurt's back. collection. It was Kurt's collection. But uh, um, it was Wes. Wes is the person that was obsessed with him, correct? Yes. Yeah, uh, Wes Loder. Yeah. What, when when Wes um, would talk about that camera, and I was like, how different is this going to be from other 1930s Zeiss cameras that I've shot? And the truth is, it's a lot different from any Zeiss camera that you've ever shot. And in all honesty, if you were to pick up that camera, you would be kind of stunned to learn that it wasn't like a 1960s camera. Uh, just because the way it functions, the way it shoots, the the weird automations on it. Um, it's, it's a square format 35 millimeter, which is always going to be you know a place in my heart for square format 35 millimeter. Um, but that camera is just, it. it it's like, I forget that it's a, an 80-year-old camera when I go to shoot oh. it. Um, you absolutely would not. There's just no way that you conceptualize that it's an 80 year old camera. It's just it's it's a spectacular camera. Which then, lens did yours come with? Was it the sonar? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. The sonar. Okay. Sonar. And then of course the the Omega would be the the GX six seventeen, uh, which was a part <laughs> of a complicated trade with Paul, where I divested myself of every single bit of Leica gear that I had, uh, and ended up with this behemoth of a, of a panorama camera. Uh, again, a very simple camera, a very, you know, it's a full manual, very basic camera, uh, but it's just so much fun to shoot. And the results are always just delightful. It's like, talk about surprise and delight. Every time I pick up that camera and shoot it, and I just can't wait to get the, the negatives developed because uh, you're just going to be just delighted with what you get. It's a really cool camera. And unlike anything else I've ever shot. The, the results you've been posting on um, to show us on that is, is just spectacular. Really good. It's just absolutely amazing. And and you know, Anthony, don't don't cut yourself short too, because I've spoken about this before on the panoramic episode, where when you shoot a panoramic camera, you do have to do a little bit of mental visualization to get the most out of a panoramic shot. You can't just walk around with a hassle, um uh, X pan or wide Lux or the 617 or whatever, or horizon and just randomly start shooting pictures, just stuff like you would a point and shoot. Cause you're not going to make full effect out of it. And I've seen some of the images you shared from that 617 and you, you have a good eye for it. it oh, and that, that, that helps a lot too, because I don't have it. And the few times I have shot wide uh, panoramic cameras, I, I just, I don't feel the, whatever the magic from them, like, like I've seen from your shot. So um, that's awesome that, you know, you've, you've had that, it's had that effect on you. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, because I was just looking back at my stats for the year. I've shot those two cameras more than every other camera combined of the year. What about you, Paul? You know, I've been so busy. I haven't shot a roll of film. I, I can't remember the last time I shot a roll of film. So <laughs> I think, you know, the, the thing that's got me excited about photography right now is that the Leica M10 monochrome, uh, it's actually got me want to take pictures. That's good. doesn't have to be film. Yeah. Right. Well, today, I, you know, the last thing I need is a third system because I've got the Fujis and the <laughs> um, But I also picked up my fourth M10R black paint camera. 
which were very, very rare. And uh, with that Leica purchase I made, I wound up with three of them and I sold all three and the same person actually had bought a fourth that just turned up. So I drove down near Louisville, Kentucky this morning and bought it. Um, and I'm thinking about whether I want to keep it or not. Um, you know, it's it it's easy to say it's just another digital camera, but it's actually a little bit more than that because of the form factor on the rangefinder is pretty good. And I've got, right now I would have 12, 21, 28, 35, 50, and 90 millimeter lenses for it. So I'd have a nice, nice kit. That with a 21, I think would be an awesome combo. Yeah, 21, 28 Elmer Red M is a, a yeah. real and you know it's funny because I I had uh, I have the Leica Finder that came from Pert, um, but I have the Voigtlander or the TT Artisan twenty one Finder I like better than the Leica Finder. The exit pupil on it's bigger, so I, my eye fits better into. It. Yeah, I I don't like the uh, viewfinder that comes on the Hasselblad SWC, the no, super wide like the built in viewfinder is terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. It's really, it's too small. It's too small for how big of an image it is. Like, I, And then what the location of the shoe on the body is kind of forward. So it's like you kind of have to contort your head to get close enough to the eyepiece over the top like surface of the camera to be able to see through it. It's not good. I, I hate to be I a broken record to... about this, but I do not understand Hasselblad ergonomics. I, it's just like... <laughs> It's it's the camera that's going to get the zero score for me on the Ekman scale because I just I I've never met a Hasselblad that I like. I mean I I enjoyed shooting the SWC more than any other Hasselblad because I like the results because that lens is spectacular and it's a fun camera to shoot, but it's not an enjoyable camera to shoot. I feel the same way about the SWC. I, if if your question earlier, Theo, was what's the camera you've been most disappointed in this year that you thought you would like? It's the SWC because I love wide angle. But we'll take that. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Well, I mean, I talked about the Hologon, which is an example of a of a camera built around a lens. I mean, essentially, mm -hmm. the Hologon is a lens with a camera attached to it. Um, and then the the Biogon or whatever it was, I can't remember the name of the lens on it. It's a Hologon, fifteen uh, eight Hologon. No, on the SWC. Oh, that, 38 millimeter Biogon. Yeah, the Biogon 38 was built specifically with that body around it. It's essentially just a frame with, a, there's no traditional shut. It's not a focal plane shutter. Uh, it, it still has a, a removable backs, but it, that is just not a camera that's really endeared itself to me at all. So Theo? Answer okay, your own uh, question. Yeah, I've I've had a few interesting ones this year. Uh, the, the you know, in terms of when I want something quality, of course, it's the Mamiya. So I mean, I know we say timing in cheek a lot here, but it is a very optimal camera that the Mamiya service. So it, the, the quality is just outstanding. But the things that the ones that have actually surprised me and sort of you know, I never thought I'd so fall so into is the Leica R8 was a surprise to me. I thought. There's no way I'm going to like this chunky thing, but it just works. And it's just spectacular in the way well, and, it works. And Paul hates them. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> he really talked bad. Of, no, he didn't. He, no, he didn't. I didn't. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> in fact, I have an R9 coming in within the next uh, couple of weeks, I think. That's the Porsche design one, right? Didn't Porsche do the body on that? Or am I, uh, am I confused? No, they're the, uh, R8 and R9 are basically the same shape. Yeah. They're they're like a knight exact, <laughs> but aren't they but the, aren't they an SLR with like a strange? They don't look like the previous R bodies, so didn't no, they? No, no, they don't. No, the R eight is where they break the okay. mold. Okay, so it is the one of the like chunky, chunky body. 
Yeah. yeah. So that wasn't a Porsche design? I thought it was. No, that was the Rolly that we were talking about. The Rolly okay. 35. Those okay. were Porsche. All right. The... I said I won't edit stuff. Maybe edit my stupidity out there then. <laughs> uh the the um the yeah, I fell heavily into the Super Contas this year, um, thanks to Anthony. So uh, I I really enjoyed shooting those, and the results I've been getting from those have, have been you know something I've really liked. Uh, and the same with the Superb. The Superb is a camera that surprised me because I've, I've yeah the way it works and the way you you actually hold it and you can see everything and so. On. But the most surprising camera I've had shooting and the results from it, believe it or not, is the Plabo Makina six by nine. I I. I actually was not expecting because I've read on those and people have sort of trashed the lenses on them a bit and, and so on. But I have actually been getting fantastic results. I love the form factor, the way it folds almost flat when you're hanging from your neck. Um, it attracts a hell of a lot of attention for people. Um, I've got the Chrome version, so it really sort of stands out. And it it just, yeah, I've got the roll the rollback on it, so I don't have to deal with the, the actual yeah you know, never see. know how to grip it though i mean it's the bellows is so exposed on those like do you just grab the thumb compartment and hold it pretty much it has, it has the... tabs on it for your yeah. thumbs it's got it's got like it's got like a uh, little textured metal yeah. tabs that pulled out that you're supposed to hold it my, by mine's got a leather leather holder for your hand too my, my hands are probably a bit smaller than yours too so it uh yeah, it fits quite nicely. But I think Anthony, you've shot with yours, haven't you? I, I did. I had one on a long-term loan. I, I've I've since given it back, and I and and it's a camera that I've sort of half kept my eye on the market because I'd love to replace it. I love those lenses. There's like a look to that camera that you get from yeah. those lenses. Um, and you know, I didn't have a single bad frame out of it. You know, I didn't have any issues with it at all. Works great with a rollback. I agree with you. It folds up. And fits, you know, yeah. very politely in your camera bag when you're, if you're like hiking around. And I took it out into some crazy inhospitable places, like on some crazy hikes where, you know, you wouldn't think that you would take a folding camera from the 1930s into places like I was taking this one. Felt totally comfortable doing it, dead reliable. Um, mm. And I, I, you know, it's a, it's a cool camera. It is a That's really cool. cool camera that, that doesn't get a lot of um, props and it should because it's, it's mm. it, it does a good yeah. job. No, I, I, I love them. I, I, unfortunately, the one that I shot for my review had a bunch of light leaks. So um, I, I want to get a chance to shoot another one again because I, I, I do see the appeal. They are very cool. I just, yeah. I made that comment of not knowing how to hold them because mine didn't have the grip. That I think that would help a lot. Yeah. And what about you, um, Mike? So I'll, I'll have two. Um, to be honest with you, a camera, I'll do two surprises that I didn't think I would like as much as I did. So I think this one... Very well, Theo, could give your beloved Mamiya 7 a run for its money. Um, and nah, I think that nah, this nah. camera... I'll say no already. I'll well, no but hold already. on. There's one <laughs> advantage that this one has that yours does not, and it's that it folds. So this is called the Fujifilm GF670 Professional. This camera was nice also... Camera. It was rebranded as a Votelander Vito 3, I think. Um, or Vito Four. There was there was a Votelander version of this. I don't remember what it's exactly called, but it can do both six by six and six by seven. Uh, the viewfinder is absolutely glorious. I mean, it is crystal clear, and it's got uh, parallel auto parallax correction frame lines. It's got auto field correction. It tells you in the viewfinder whether you're in six by six or six by seven mode. The rangefinder patch is very large. I mean, in terms of the size of the rangefinder patch. 
and the clarity, it's easily on Leica M8, M11, M12, whatever, M10. Uh, it, very, very sharp, very clear. The lens on this, the Fujinon EBC lens is very good. Um, ah, but it's only got one lens. Only one lens. You're right. You're right. It's a fixed lens. <laughs> but uh, the ability to fold it shut, you know, and when you fold it shut, That's it's handy. Yeah. It, it's a little thicker, Anthony, than like a Kodak monitor would be, but but pretty close to get a to get a really high quality six by seven camera that could fit in a large coat pocket or a medium-sized handbag i think is very special so i kind of saw this as that's another folding range finder um but i was i was impressed and it has full auto exposure i mean you could shoot it um in manual mode if you want but it does have ae which I, which is kind of cool um but one other camera that i did not know what to expect at all going into it that i really really like this was my surprise of the year uh it's a digital camera is the epson the epson rd1 so this is a digital rangefinder. So it's an actual digital camera and the body of like a, it's, it's a Cosina built body. So it's very similar to the R2 series. It uses the Leica M mount. So I have on it a Sumalux M35 1.4. Um, the viewfinder, just like the Fuji I just put down is super clear, very, very bright, excellent high contrast viewfinder. But what's, what's really cool about this camera is and I want to get to this in a minute here too. I want to I want to really quick recover some of the questions people have been asking us in the Discord. But people are always talking about making these digital backs for analog cameras. Like they want to shoot digital photos with an analog camera, and it just never works. Like no one has been able to recreate. It just it it's hard to to if if the if the appeal is to have the fun of an analog camera but still get digital images. That's really difficult to do, but this camera does that. It has a film advance lever. It doesn't advance the film because there's no film, but this is how you manually cock the shutter. So you still have to wind the lever to cut, to set the shutter. So it, it full digital camera. So pressing the shutter release doesn't do anything. You have to keep winding it on a, on a Leica body where it has the rewind knob here on the side. There's no film. This is actually the mode dial. So you get like these nice clicks. You probably can't hear that, but you can control all the menu functions on this analog needle, which is on top of the um, body. Epson, when they made this camera, or I think they still are, they're owned by Seiko, the watchmaker, shutter maker. And this is an actual Seiko watch movement that they repurposed. And you get four needles. One of them shows your exposures, how many are remaining on the memory card. There's a smaller needle for um, normal, high, and raw, so your quality level. You get an E and an F, you know, like a gas gauge, which is your battery level. And then you have a white balance meter, which is auto. And then there's five little icons for different types of lighting scenarios you can control um, with this analog meter. So, I mean, even though it does have a, you know, it's a 2006 digital camera, so it has a relatively small rear LCD, you don't need to use it at all. And this is one of the earlier models, the, the final revision of this camera, they actually removed this ability, but this one, you can swing out the, um, the rear LCD and fold it shut and completely hide it. So, you know, if you want a analog experience, but in a digital camera, this is it. It uses Leica film lenses. It has a film advanced lever, shuttercock, whatever. 
It has an analog dial for controlling all the modes. Even the mode control dial is using the little wheel on the side, which looks like a um, a, uh, a the rewind knob. And and I don't know the technology behind it, but Paul, when this camera was new, I believe people raved about the image quality. Mm -hmm. uh, some I don't some kind of sensor. This is a CCD. It's a six point one megapixel. Um, the image quality I got out of it was fantastic. Leaps yeah. and bounds better than any other six, five, six megapixel camera of the day. And it's like a M-mount. Yeah. So you get the best lenses money can buy. Uh, you get the absolute most you can get out of the six megapixel sensor. It's a very well sturdy built camera. I mean, it feels like a quality, even though it's made by Cusina. Um, I, I, for me, it's not about the megapixels. It's not about the, um, you know, uh, the, the Leica lore that sometimes people get irritated with. I just like cameras that are fun and interesting to use. And if they make great images, that's a bonus. Uh, but this without a doubt does all three. And, and I was aware that these cameras existed. I had never seen one before, but when I actually got a chance to use one, um, this in my mind of any of the cameras I've ever shot, reviewed, whatever is the, 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 the most perfect balance of analog and digital. I think that's ever been made more even than like the M8, M9, um, you know, cause those do still have the, the, the optical range finders, um, but still digital. So that was my surprise. Of the year. I, I did not expect to kind of fall for that camera. Like I did. Looks nice, like we nice lost choice. Anthony. Um, which he, you know, told us could happen, but uh, at least we got his chance to talk. Uh, let's wind down here. We're, you know, I, we didn't know how long we were going to do this. We've been recording for an hour and 45 minutes now. Uh, one thing I do want to do though, real quick for one, um, for those of you listening, I, 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 I'll speak for Paul and, and Theo here, but I've been really impressed with the engagement on the discord. You know, we, we were told that that was a good way to reach out to people, that there was a segment of listeners that preferred that over Facebook. Uh, and we kind of just said, all right, you guys want a Discord server? We made a Discord server, right? And uh, I, I checked that thing daily. Paul, I've seen on there quite a bit, answering a lot of people. We have the gas forum. People are sharing their 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 pickups and people are commenting on some of the episodes. The Lounge has had a lot of engagement. So for one, I wanted to say thank you um, to those of you who've been in there too. But we do have the Ask the Host section. And, and the intent with that is like, if, if you don't want to join us on one of the shows, but have a question for one of us and want us to talk about something, that's kind of where um, I, I think it's, you know, we used to, do, do we even get emails anymore, Theo, through the Gmail account? I don't think we do. Oh, we do lots, but most of them are Spam. what they call phishing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think back in the day, podcasts used to solicit feedback a lot through email. And, and I don't know that that's the yeah, most effective way anymore. About that. <laughs> but um, but I, I think this is a really cool way for people. If you if you don't want to make it to the show or you just can't due to time zones or whatever, maybe you just hate the sound of your own voice. I don't blame you. Uh, but if you have any questions, so real quick, I'll just go through this real quick. And if you guys have anything you want to throw in, um, somebody, Mig, asked uh, if the uh, COA, Paul, you were talking about the, the adapters for the COA mount, and you wanted to know if the SCT-R2 body would work with SCT-R lenses. Um, I responded that I believe that all the COA interchangeable SLRs use the same mount, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So there was the SER, which did not have TTL metering. It had an external CDS sensor. Then there was the SETR, 
and the SETR2, which was the final version. So all yeah, three lenses were, the were all the same. And they're great optically, fantastic. Yeah. Well, what happened was the uh, the Cine people have found them. Yeah. That's why the prices have gone up so much. Mm -hmm. on them. Yeah. But the adapters are very cool. They're they're not cheap. They're about $85 for the adapter. Mm -hmm. But yeah. because the lens does not have an F-stop ring. Right. It's just it like the DKL mount. And right. it's not an SLR. So you, uh, oh, it, it's an SLR, but it, you don't have any focusing. Right. So the adapter has a helicoid on it, which allows you to focus closer. All right. Uh, Brian McDonald, we talked about this in the in the point and shoot episode, raved about the uh, the Shinon, what was it, the 3001? Mm -hmm. And somebody named PTR asked about getting one. Any thoughts? I said they were overpriced. But Paul, wasn't there a Kodak S? Yeah, I, you you came up with it. I, com, I looked it up. 1000 right. X or something. It, it is absolutely the same camera. Yep, same camera. It looks different and it's, it's uglier. Around seventy nine dollars. Yep. The, the the most expensive one I saw was seventy nine dollars. Yeah. Most of them so, are in the forty dollar price range. Whereas the Shinons are three four hundred. Yeah, and they're the the cool thing about them is they're multi beam autofocus. Right. They were the first multi-beam and they, I think there were 28 zones of focus, which is a yeah. lot for, you know, a camera of that. Of that for range. any camera, let alone a point and shoot. Yes. I mean, really, that's crazy. Oh, and speaking, spe he, he left. I didn't get a chance to ask him, but in, in our private uh, chat just the other day, Anthony commented on he, he uh, eBay searched for that Fuji Natura and he was like, holy <laughs> crap, that's expensive. Caused him to swallow his gum, I believe. <laughs> um. <laughs> Gosh, I feel like there was one or two other questions in here. Uh, someone asked, Skip Williams asked about the Context S2, which we kind of talked about a little bit too. Um, Anthony mentioned it's like a Nikon FM sort of manual everything, but uses great lenses, great build quality. And then somebody asked about, it was uh, Mig again, asked about the, um, that's what it's, the I'm back. These, this is this is the part of this hobby that never seems to go away. Right. These capsule uh, attempts to recreate, and that's you know I was I was alluding to that when I was talking about the Epson. But the the I'm back. I will I will give a, a tiny bit of credit to the people creating this. That this one does look mildly more interesting than the previous version of the I'm back, which was a a sensor that was mounted under the camera. And then there was like a light tube with a mirror or a prism that reflected the light onto the film plane. So you were essentially taking a picture of a ground glass on the film plane in an SLR, which is just absurd to me. But this is, it looks like, it's like a plastic module that's roughly the same shape as a 35 millimeter cassette of film. And I assume that's where the brains are. But then sticking out of the side of it is like literally a digital sensor that's completely exposed to dust. And I feel like if I had one of these, my OCD would go through the roof of, you know, you're just conditioned to not touch. Don't even look at the digital sensors because they're so sensitive to dust. But this thing, the sensor is just kind of flapping in the wind. Um, and so essentially you're, you're putting this very thin digital sensor onto the film plane. So you're in essence putting it where the film plane would be. It is a crop sensor. So it's APS-C. Uh, so you have to do with crop factor. But um, what I don't understand, and it's only because I've just not researched it, is on a film camera, you wind the shutter 
the thumb release. You press the shutter release. The shutter opens and closes really quickly. But how do you synchronize the digital sensor to capture the image at the exact moment the shutter is open? I have to imagine it's doing like video, right? Like uh, it's always running. It's always running, and it yeah. only ca- saves the image of when the shutter happens to be open, right? Yeah. Like. I, I just can't visualize it either. I, I can't either. And I don't, and, and let's, let's just put that aside. Let's pretend they figured out the perfect way to make that work. Is that really recreating the feel of a, of a film analog camera, but shooting, I mean, like, uh, what are you gaining from that? I'm sorry. I, I, I have to voice. I totally think this is such a waste of time. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. We'll probably got thousands of people going to write into that defunct <laughs> email address now. But the point is, why? If you want to shoot film, shoot film. If you want to shoot digital camera, use all the advancements that we've gotten through, you know, getting um, digital cameras or buy the RD1, invest in the RD1. That's, you know, that's a good mix, but it was designed around taking digital pictures, the RD1. That's the difference. Yes, okay, you know, they added a shutter clocking for some reason, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And it makes you feel like you're shooting a, man, a manual camera. But there's a reason why we've advanced on the digital cameras and why everybody uses them and why most people use a phone these days. They're convenient and they turn out good quality pictures. So if your aim is to get a good quality picture, don't try and use a film camera to create a digital picture yeah, apart from shooting film and scanning it in. And in all, and, and again, I haven't seen any sample images from this newest version but all the previous ones looked god awful, like yeah. really bad. You know, worse than even the what are those? You can go on Amazon now and get like a, it's called a Minolta digital camera, but it's like a Chinese, you know, fixed focus. It's got mm. an LED for a flash. I mean, even that I have to imagine makes better images than some of these early versions of the Imbac. So. Um, well, I, I give, I understand this segment of, of our hobby is not going to go away. Um, if film emulsions keep getting more expensive and more and more companies are discontinuing them, this, this is only going to continue to be possible or I'm sorry, popular. Uh, but, but like you, Theo, I, I don't get it. I've never once had a desire to turn my Nikon F2 or whatever into a digital camera. I, I love digital. I, that is one thing I think is true about all four of us. Most of the people who like this show, we are not film snobs. Yes, we overwhelmingly talk about film over digital, but I like digital. I have a ton of great digital cameras. You know, mm. I raved about the Epson. I love uh, the the Micro Four Thirds, the OMD. I love my uh, Nikon Z5. I shoot more digital than I do film. You know, even though it doesn't mm. seem like I do, I, I shoot more digital, but there's different reasons to shoot film, different reasons to shoot digital. And you, there you, is. Don't, and you don't have to choose. You know, I get it. Exactly. Exactly. I, I'll, you, I'll, I'll invest in a GFX one day because that's, that's what I see as the, probably the equivalent of the Mamiya 7 yeah. in the digital world. And, and that's my thinking. And that's what I like. And I can actually adapt my lenses from the Mamiya 7 to them because they've got these fancy adapters that do it. So I can still take advantage of that. But there's no way I would try and turn the Mamiya 7 into a digital camera. It just so doesn't that, make sense to me. So that, I think, is our thoughts, uh, Meg, or whoever was wondering. <laughs> but I, I want to encourage, oh, Caver, this was December 8th, so it's kind of an old question, but it was directed at you, Theo, asking about Leica repairs in Australia, or, or where did we land on that? 
look, there's 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 a couple of companies in uh, Queensland. I don't have them off my head. I haven't Okay. sent any likers here in Australia to be repaired. Um, I I trust Jess. She she does a great job on everything that I've sent her way. So um, that would work with me as well. Um, or be if you're getting a very expensive like a fixed, there's there's no reason why you wouldn't spend the extra b
Happy New Year. Um, I'm going to release this with practically no edits. I'll slap on an intro and uh, get this out maybe by tomorrow. So uh, people, I'm not even going to do show notes. I'm just. Nope. And I'll tell you, and, and my, I, I will bet that this will be one of the most popular episodes Probably well. we've ever done. <laughs> hey, if it does. And uh, if this ends up being successful, it's, it's no skin off my shoulders because it's a hell of a lot less work we'll have to put into. Yep. All yeah, the editing, editing stuff. All right, guys. Brutal, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Take care. Happy New Year, uh, okay. Happy, Happy New Year. Year. Happy Bye. New Year, everyone. Bye. Bye.